something momentous happened this morning in the message. Did anyone catch that other than Valerie? I was informed by Valerie this week that every sermon starts with the word well. And she played it over again. She played one sermon after another, and every one of them started with the word well as I got up. So this morning I was, had to be very thoughtful in not saying the word well this morning when I started, so I didn't use it. So, and I'm not going to use it tonight either. It started off that way. But we do have uh, tonight what I have encountered as a very con- controversial position for many people. Um, but I don't see how because God's word makes it so and declares it so. This morning in Sunday school, you were discussing something. I didn't quite hear the end of the discussion to see where it went during the adult Sunday school class. Um, I am listening to it in the nursery uh, and when the little ones allow me to. And I uh, didn't quite have a clear understanding where it ended. Uh, the question was, how long are you to submit to your father? In, and uh, the question within the home context, things like that. And we're going to talk a lot about that tonight. I don't know where you ended that this morning, so I can't tell if I'm going to agree or disagree, if we're going to be parallel or in contrast to uh, conflict with one another. Uh, and hopefully we're going to be paralleled. Like I said, I didn't quite hear how that discussion ended uh, that you had this morning. But we're going to be looking into God's Word in this area of authority within the home, spiritual authority particularly tonight. And we've already, you've already had me bring it up with regard to growing in wisdom, of growing in physically, uh, and now we're going to look at it growing in spiritually. And nowhere is this probably more a dilemma or a discussion, a place of discussion than in the spiritual realm. And we're going to talk about the parental role here that the Bible has for us. And we are going to include the passage you had this morning in Ephesians uh, about the, the role the parents have spiritually before their family. But I want to also extend it to some other areas as well. So because we're doing that, let's go Lord in prayer. Well, we want to talk about, there we go, I start off with well again. Okie dokie, that's what I'm going to start saying from now on. For, for the next 10 years, I'm going to say okie dokie at the beginning of my messages just to try to change up. <laughs> okie dokie, here we go. We're going to talk about the tension that is really going on in your home spiritually uh, with regard to authority between God, yourself as one that's subordinate to God, and to your children whom you are authority over and your children's role there as well. And we often think, well, I, my responsibility is to lead my child into not only a right relationship with God through salvation and, and to uh, bring that about, but also into that they might learn and uh, appreciate and be committed to the practices of God's Word, the the obedience we talked about this morning, and we certainly have already taught that. When we talked about the disciplines, we talked about the need for us to instruct and to be an example. Obviously, you want to uh, do that. That is your responsibility to teach that, to nurture, and to instruct, to discipline, that they have these uh, virtues displayed in front of them, and that we have these virtues 
expected of them, but with limitations because we realize that even we don't meet those expectations always, and it requires something from us, and, and that's uh, uh, sometimes chastening, and that we need to be corrected. And that's not only from God chastening us, but from our responsibility to one another to use God's word to rebuke, correct, and instruct in righteousness that we may be complete. And so God's word is useful for that, and we should be using it in the instruction of our child, in the disciplining of our child, but in their spiritual uh, growth to grow in favor with God, the Bible becomes essential because this is an authority that we need to keep going to. And especially as the children get older and older, we need to keep going back to biblical authority. Uh, it's not, in the earliest years, it might be okay. In fact, it is okay. Uh, I'm going to give you full permission here to say, because I said so. I actually said that this morning in the nursery when I was asked, well, why do I have to do that? Because I said so. Um, I'm in charge of this nursery class, not you. And so I say so, and you're going to do it. And that's okay. That is the proper use of your authority. You do not have to give reason for every instruction. But when we come to issues of spiritual life, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? And we talked about this last week a little bit where there were certain things that God put into the life and, and particularly around the, 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 the holy days of Israel, the holidays of Israel, where it was intended to solicit questions from your children. Why do we do this? And that is your opening where you're supposed to tell them and instruct them about the history of God with you as a people. That's for Israel. And we have something similar. We have the Lord's table. We have uh, baptism. Why do we do that? It's odd. It's something they don't encounter every day. Uh, and so it's going to come to mind. We only do Passover once a week, or I'm sorry, once a year. And so they're going to ask, why are we doing this? This is a weird time, and what's this all about? And we need to tell them. So we have to have these things, and we should use them as teaching tools. Uh, and then, uh, so, so you have that responsibility. We want to use God's Word. God's Word is set up for that, some things. Uh, but in terms of the everyday activities of life and their spiritual nature, we need to keep going back to God's Word as the authority. Why is that important to them? Because it's not just family tradition. Now, we can sometimes, in, in just to make matters brief, because there wasn't a teaching opportunity available to me very well, uh, I might have said, well, this is what we do. This is what our family does. This is who we are. Uh, and we can use that, but we shouldn't use that a lot. Um, that should be a, a limited use, because that's really not why we do it, is it? Because uh, tradition is not a good enough authority for the, to direct our children in growing in Christ spiritually. Tradition just doesn't cut it. Does that work in other groups? Certainly, it can be an authority that we can go to. Uh, and that's why so many Catholics are Catholics um, by tradition, and they'll say, I'm Catholic. It's like, well, do you know what you believe? They don't believe anything. They're Catholic. Why are they Catholic? Because my family's Catholic, because I was raised Catholic. Because, and so it's all built upon tradition. So I'm not saying tradition can't form your child into something, but it won't be a biblical Christian. 
Because as soon as we have biblical, we know what the foundation of the authority is. It should be God's word. We keep having to rest upon God's word, go back to God's word, and we should be quoting it regularly to them. They should hear it. They should see it. They should understand this is what, what drives your decisions, that the Bible's authority transcends parental authority. So we have parental authority, and yes, you do have some authority spirits, so we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But biblical authority is what I keep going to. God says this in his word. If a man doesn't work, neither shall he eat. Now my children heard that, and guests in my home would hear that. And so what is a child's work? Well, it's chores, right? They have chores. But ultimately, what is their job at home? You can answer. To obey. Their job is to honor the father and mother. What, that's your job. If you don't want to do your job, you don't need to eat. Right? And so we teach a biblical, not because I said so, not because that's the rule in our house, it's because that's what God's word says. And, and if you think that's harsh, um, you were reminded this morning in Sunday school what the law's penalty was for a child in rebellion. Stone them to death. So missing a meal or two uh, compared to stoning them to death, I don't think it's harsh. It's okay, they will survive, um, and you'd be surprised how many meals your kids can skip and survive uh, fine and get their attention. And I love also that the fellowship is broken, and what does the Bible say? When there's sin, it breaks fellowship. That's a biblical principle we want to teach, and so we're going to break fellowship because of your sin, and we need to communicate. It's not just because you made me angry, it's because you have sinned. It's not just, I'm sorry I made you mad, it's, I'm sorry I sinned against you. And we need to be able to delineate that. And so what does that require of us? It requires of us to say, I have to answer to God for my sin. You have to answer to God for your sin, but you also, because you're in, under my, in my home, under my authority, have to answer to me. There will come a time when you will largely answer only to God. But you still might have something with me. Because authority over disciplining sin doesn't end when you become 18, 21, or own your own house and live somewhere else, right? What do we as a church do when we have one of our members in sin? We exercise church discipline. Why? Because we have mutual authority over one another in this area of fellowship. Because fellowship can be withdrawn by those you're fellowshipping with, which means we all have some responsibility to one another, which is why the Bible says, who are you supposed to submit to? Right before it says, wives, submit to your husband, what does it say? Submit to one another in love. Love, submit to one another. What does that mean? That you, all each of you, has some level of authority over me. In the areas because you can withdraw your fellowship from me if you see in me a persistence in sin that I won't repent of. Say, I don't want anything to do with you because you just want to do that. And so fellowship is, so we see that there are many, many subtle letter, levels of authority spiritually that we don't always recognize. We don't realize that, I, that we, I have a responsibility to be accountable to you for my life. And that's why I try to live my life as a kind of an open thing. I don't hide much. Um, 
I do hide some things from my wife even. If you tell me, if some people tell me things in confidence, I don't even tell my wife. She doesn't know unless you tell me to tell my wife. I don't tell anybody. And, and those things, and, and so there are some things that have occurred. She's like, I had no clue that was coming tonight, honey. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but I didn't have liberty to talk about it till now. And so um, that's a different nature, but in terms of having lives that are open, and uh, you're free to come into my home. You're free to evaluate. In fact, when you go through the, the description of the qualifications of pastors and deacons, wow, you get pretty much access to everything. You want to see my bank book? You want to see what I'm doing with my finances? You have the right to do that, to evaluate if I'm qualified to be a pastor. Uh, you have the right to come into my home and see how it functions and to see its results. You have the right to look at my business dealings and, and my relationship with, with the community at large. You have that right, that authority. So we have this mutual authority over one another, hence we submit to one another. So your child has all these layers of authority to say, oh, they have all that. Well, so do you. And so biblically, we have lots of information over this with regard to how we function, we recognize authorities in our life. So when I hear uh, wives complain about being under the authority of their husbands or husbands abusing their authority over their wife and not living that with them with understanding and not loving them, uh, it, 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 there is no instruction of husbands lorded over your wives. Okay? Um, it is love them, live with them with understanding, uh, and to the degree your wife uh, permits it, um, you should rule your household well. You should be the, the main manager of the home. You're, you're the one that's going to be culpable before God, answerable to God for your home. And so you might say, wait a minute, you just said if your wife allows you. That's exactly right. That's why the wives are commanded to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Um, because you have within you the same thing your child has with regard to their parents. A propensity, a leaning to rebel. And this is made worse, exacerbated by our society. What does our society teach us? What are your kids picking up in their media, uh, in TV movies, in, that's media as well, uh, from their friends, from our mores of our new society that we're living in? What do they pick up on in terms of authority? Yeah, you don't need them. And you don't have to honor it. You disrespect it, you ignore it, uh, you disregard it, you don't need it. It just, it just gets in the way of life. That's how they are confronted, that's how they're taught, and you want to, and, and, and I'm just going to pick on one because I know that I, I got, this is more recent, but I could pick on a lot of things. Um, when Disney's uh, character, chief character, is best known and the most favorite song is Let It Go, um, we got a problem. If that's the model for our children, that to just cut loose and have no restraint, no self-restraint, no control, I shouldn't have to worry about being the queen of the whole kingdom, I just want to go do whatever I want to do. Well, that is the... philosophy of our age. 
So we're struggling against underlying things that you're going to pick up in a lot of your, in your children. The more they're engaged in Hollywood media outlets, they're going to be taught this lesson. Okay? And so you're confronting that. So, and they're going to pick up on it in school. They're going to pick up on it in, in the law. Right now, the law of our land uh, is incredibly uh, prejudiced against parents. You cannot believe, you would be shocked at how prejudiced the law is against parenting. Not just in the area of corporeal discipline, but of just authority. So we're fighting, we're bucking the world here in this area. So pray for your children, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. So let's talk about spiritual. Where does your spiritual authority extend to, and how can you function within that authority? Let's go to the book of Job. It's not a weird place to start, but let's start there. Let's go to the book of Job. And I want to, and I don't know if I have time. I've gone late already, so I'm way behind. So let's go to Job chapter 1. Um, Job had seven sons and three daughters. Um, He had lots of sheep. He had lots of camels, lots of oxen, donkeys. That's the first three verses. Verse 4. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day. That means they took turns and rotated it. They each took a turn at each other's homes. So these are not children. These are adult children. Uh, Each on his appointed day. And each would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was. And and why would they invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them? Um, Because they recognize the need to invite your sisters. Okay? Um, Apparently these sisters aren't married. And... Uh, they're still under the authority of dad, and outside of dad, they're under the authority of the brothers. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So it was, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them. He would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Isn't that an interesting description of a a man that God says is my prime example of godliness on earth. Of all the people on earth he would pick to, to put Satan in his place, he chose Job. And one of the premier aspects of what made Job a perfect man in God's sight was he took responsibility not only for his own spiritual care, but for the spiritual care of his children to the extent that he wasn't only concerned about their overt sins, but for their inadvertent sins. For the sins they committed accidentally. And he wanted to make sure that he could function. And so he kind of functioned as their high priest before God. A mediator between his children and God. And I would contend that that is an appropriate understanding of the role you have to a degree. Now I'm not saying you are the savior of your children. But you're a mediator between where they are now and what God desires of them. And certainly we know that Jesus Christ is their mediator for salvation. We're not talking about salvation here. Remember from the first week when we defined what it meant to be, in, to be in favor with God. We're not talking about salvation, but of Christian walk. And so we want to be the one that is an example to them of the Christian life, but also we are mediating them. And so when they fail, and they will, because they will be distracted, they will be um, they, to... Uh, develop an interest in the things of God will not be there, even into adulthood. Sometimes we need to just go, oh, and, and, 
uh, Job here is going to take the responsibility on himself to address his adult children possibly inadvertently sinning in their hearts. Not even active sin, just attitudinal sin. In their hearts, he was worried about it. Now this goes along with what I just said about we are to submit to one another in love. So does Job have some authority with regard to his children, even in their adulthood? Yes. Just like everyone in the church has authority toward one another. I have authority over you to rebuke and correct and instruct you. You have authority over me to rebuke, correct, and instruct you. The, 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 the premise of that authority is the Bible, the Scriptures. So here Job is taking this responsibility of being a priest for his family. And when we go through the Old Testament, Job was probably, is, is patriarchal period, so it's before the law. Uh, and that's why I like to use it, because this has nothing to do with the Mosaic law. This is well before the law. This is before Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Job wasn't an Israelite. And so we find that uh, here is him taking responsibility for the spiritual care of his children. And I could go to a negative example, but I'm running out of time already. Uh, the negative example is of Gideon. What does Gideon do with regard to his family? At the end, he has a spectacular ministry uh, and all those great victories. And you say, well, this is great. But what did he do? The end of his life, do you know? Do you remember? He makes a golden ephod. He takes the earrings from everyone that they took because all those people they beat had earrings. <laughs> I always tell you, you're siding, when you're wearing all those gold earrings, men, you're siding with the people that Gideon beat. So they took the earrings off. He says, I don't want any of the other plunder. Just give me the earrings. He took that, melted it down, made it ephod, and it said it became a stumbling stone to Gideon and his family. Well, by then, his family, and there were a lot of them. He had a lot of kids, um, boys, 70. And so uh, even into adulthood, it became a stumbling stone. So do you have spiritual influence? Yes. Even over adult children? Yes. So we are called to be that mediator for them into righteousness, into spiritual reality. So we exercise our authority. What does that mean? It means that I understand I cannot bring you to Christ. I cannot force you to trust in him. I can't even force you really to um, seek after him. But I can expose you to it and I can live it before you. And I can require of you under my house to live in this manner while you're in my house under my authority. Now, um, that can extend a little bit farther than just what we think of as, I don't expect you to send your kids out at 13, 14, but we recognize there's now an authority struggle there. And it's a recognition of that's what's going on. That's why every teenager is a problem because they're starting to recognize I'm a real person. I have my own choices. I have my own thoughts. I have my own desires that aren't equal to my parents. And we want to exert those. And we don't always know the parameters to exert those. And so it comes off as rebellion. And we as parents don't always understand the need to give them parameters to exert them. And so we need to hear ourselves saying, you need to decide who you want to be. 
And we have put that pressure on them. And what you're saying is, I recognize you are your own person. Who do you want to be? What do you want to be like? Is this who you are? How do you define yourself? And these are things we need to start investigating with them at a pretty early age. Uh, I would even say eight, nine, ten years old, they're already starting to think like that. By 12, 13, 14, it's already taken, uh, it's already manifesting itself. It's already showing. And that's why I tell you 13-year-olds, especially 13-year-old girls, are some other species than human. Um, because it's like between all the hormones and all this self uh, realization. I'm my own person. I have my own uh, authority. Um, what do I do with it? And unfortunately, we are not sending them the right messages of what to do with that. And what we ultimately want them to do with it is submit it to God, but you have to decide. Now, do children have the right to decide these things? Yes. They have self-authority, and this is where I, people argue with me, and, and I don't understand why. If the Bible has one of the Ten Commandments directed specifically at children, doesn't that necessitate that they have self-authority to choose whether to obey or not to obey? When the law has a provision for death penalty over a child in rebellion, um, doesn't that necessitate that they have authority to choose to obey or not obey? I would contend it absolutely does. And so when we come to recognizing our children growing into their decisions about who they are going to be spiritually, I do not force it on my kids. Can I communicate my displeasure? Yes, but please be careful. Why? They will... Do what you want to do to please you. Not because they want to do it, but because they want to please you, and there's a huge difference between those two. Now, I'm going to give you an example. I might embarrass my kids, but that's okay. <clears throat> They're all going, oh, please not me. Please not me. Please not me. <laughs> now, um, we love to sing in our home, my wife and I, and this isn't just because I'm a pastor and uh one of the things we appreciated when we were even just courting was she's like, well, you stood behind me, I could hear you singing. And we love to sing. And I've had people comment on it in churches, and I've had people turn around when I was, and just say, oh, it's nice to hear someone really sing. And so we want our children all to sing. Well, Scott didn't want to sing. There was a period of time when he became his own person, and he wasn't going to sing. When he was young to please us, he sang. I knew he could sing. He had a voice. And then there's a period of time we heard nothing out of him. It was like, does he, did he forget how to use his voice? Does he have a voice? Does he like to sing? Does he, well, what's with Scott? Well, he's his own person. I could say, you better sing or else. No, I never did that. His mom might have tried to pester him a little bit about can't you sing, but, but we would have never said you sing or else. You know, um, you don't have to sing for your supper in my house. Okay. <laughs> uh, we kept feeding him. Yep, uh, but then at camp one year, uh, and that's why I love saying teenagers at camp, uh, they think about it, they get two months worth of sermons in one week. That intensity alone is worth sending a kid to camp. And so, not to mention the other environment and all that, but two weeks, two months of sermons. That way, that's why every camp speaker is so good, because you're getting such concentration. 
And so he comes home, and um, my wife comes to me that Sunday dinner and says, Scott was singing. I was like, yeah, he got a hold of that at camp this week. He decided he could sing. That wasn't me pushing it. It wasn't even really the speaker. It was just the nature of it. And, and he caught it from maybe some other campers and hearing young men singing that this is a manly pursuit. But he had to discover that, and, and we and pray for that and pray for their influences, and that had to be his choice. Right, so should we sing before the Lord? Yes. Do we teach our children to sing before the Lord? Yes. Do I force them to sing before the Lord? Never. Do I demand that of them? No. Now, I have to tell you that there was one young lady in our house, that's Julie, that got it forced on her because we, we started this church. We had no pianist, and she had to do it. And she was, and I didn't know what was required, and she hadn't really learned chords yet. And, oh, boy, I about blew her mind. Uh, she just about dissolved into tears every Sunday um, because of that for the first few weeks. And then Mrs. Oh, thank goodness. Mrs. Shaw's like, she's trying to play hymns for your church? Oh, I got to teach her chords. And then everything opened up. It was like, boom. A lot easier then, huh? Yeah, well, okay. It took a couple years, but it became a lot easier. So I had, did do that to poor Julie, but by then she was already committed to doing it herself. So we recognize their authority. And so this is that tension that parents have to deal with is your children have self-authority spiritually. They must decide for themselves who they will be. I need to show them and communicate to them, train them, teach them, and discipline them, all the while permitting them to decide on their own who they will be. And the tragedy is that that's never allowed until they're out of the home. And we have seen it happen where a child is just marching along step, you know, in step with parents while they're home, and as soon as they're out of the house, boom, there's just an explosion of sin in their life. All right? And, and I, I've had to deal with people in this church and people I've loved and, and cared for for years and years and years, and, and they had their children all, you know, and they're like, what did we do wrong? We had our kids on the front row with a tie on every service. And it was like, because you tried to legislate spirituality to them, and you cannot do that. And as soon as they were free from that being in your home, what was there in their heart was revealed. Job was concerned about what was going on in the hearts of his children. That maybe in their hearts, while they're doing things right on the outside, Maybe in their hearts. Do you see that? If they sinned in their hearts, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Job wasn't concerned about them. It sounds like a great family. I mean, you got seven boys. They take turns having celebrations at each other's house, and each one of the boys invites the three daughters over. So they have, they're mutually concerned. They're sharing. They're, they're taking care of, of, of the sisters. Um, this is a great family on being, but Job was said, that's not enough. I'm still worried about their hearts. And so you can have your kids forced into lockstep obedience to your spiritual uh, convictions, but their hearts could be very far from that. They could be cursing God in their heart. And that's why I discourage that kind of lockstep parenting. And I'm okay 
with, with you telling me my child didn't want to come to school, or come to school, come to church today. Because church isn't mandatory. Did I say that? Church isn't mandatory. What did I say this morning? Church is a expression of my love for God. But if I'm cursing God in my heart, why would I want to go to church? Church isn't that important to me. And it's always going to be a problem. But if I love God, I love going to church. It's one of the evidences of it. And so, um, and, and so if you want to leave a teenager at home, uh, recognize that that's you saying, that's who you want to be? That's who you are. Stay at home. We'll pray for you. But don't, let me, don't, don't come to church and lie for them. Don't you dare come in and say, oh, they weren't feeling well. or they're, No, I, just come and say, they don't want to be here. Pray for them. It's okay. It's, you're not a failure. In fact, that might even be the most righteous thing to do, is to say, they don't want to be here, um, and pray for them, and do exactly what Job did, and say they might be cursing God in their hearts. And so I need to maybe take a few steps back and say, until they have spiritual desires and interests, um, we, we just need to pray for them and show them uh, righteousness, show them the love of God, uh, communicate to them God's word, pray for the Holy Spirit to convict them, confront them with their sin, uh, with the law, and demonstrate to them their need to turn to Christ. But just to require this lockstep robotic spirituality it will end in disaster. Because they have their own spiritual authority you have to address. And communicate to them. And so we have these examples in Scripture and, so, and these instructions in Scripture. So now, uh, I know you <laughs> spent Sunday school on it this morning, but let's look at passages like Ephesians, where it says that uh, fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Uh, so we are to train them and admonish them through the Lord. Notice it's not your training and your admonition, but training and admonition of the Lord. So we're taking the Lord's training program. We're taking his, what, what's the word, curriculum. There you go. We're taking the Lord's curriculum and we're teaching it to our children. Training them with the Lord's curriculum. We're taking the Lord's system and applying it. That's all we're doing. We're the mediators of his uh, admonition of his training and so we bring them up in the training admonition of the Lord and that is uh, in contrast to bringing up children filled with wrath and when we talk about filling a child with wrath this is not necessarily wrath against you but against God do they hate God because it has been an infringement on them of, as their own person Yeah, let that sink in a little bit. Is our presentation of God an infringement upon their liberty to be who they want to be? And that is of greatest concern to me in this whole legalistic model of raising children that we have to legislate this spiritual walk. No, there comes a point 
where your child needs to start making those decisions for themselves. It's a gradual process. But you have to be on board with that process and recognize as they mature, they need to make those decisions. And be concerned about not the outward appearance, but what's going on in the heart. Are they cursing God in their heart even while they are, quote-unquote, serving God under your requirements? And this is, this is what Job was concerned about. My kids, from everything I could see on the outside, everything looks good, but they might be cursing God in their hearts even while they're doing it because they might feel pressure, peer pressure from their own brothers to sustain that. Okay, Maybe one or two of the brothers out of the seven really didn't want to do this, but they just did it because everyone else did. That was Job's concern. Maybe one or two of them are cursing God in their hearts even while they are conforming externally to the pattern of the family. And that we don't want. And so Job was offering prayers and sacrifices to try to mediate for that kind of sin in his children's life. And that's what you need to be. You need mediating their hearts, not just their external practices. And so we want to draw out who are you. So we need to go to these children and say, who do you want to be? Do you want to be a servant of the Lord? Do you want to be selfish? Do you want to be like so-and-so? And if they're being exposed to media, do you think that's right? Do you think that's honoring to the Lord? Do you think that the behavior of that character or that's, the words of that song are appropriate for a Christian person? Those, need to be, those conversations need to happen. Because your child is already thinking about those things and being influenced by them whether you're talking about them or not. Because they are coming to the self-discovery of personal authority. And there's no place compared to spiritual areas that, that personal authority is exercised. That is, um, you can starve them and make them eat what you want them to eat and develop their appetite for certain kinds of food and never introduce sugar into your house and all those kinds of things, you can kind of mold their, their tastes of physicality, of their schedule and things like that we've talked about. You can kind of mold their mind and decide what to teach them, what not to teach them. You have uh, a lot more influence there. It's a lot, and there's less of a hiddenness in those areas. But in spiritual matters, this is the most hidden part in their life. These are the things they can hide from you the easiest. They can memorize the verses and hate those same verses at the same time. It can happen. It has happened. They can exercise self-authority all the while doing this in front of you, marching lockstep with Christianity. And I've seen it many, many times. We've seen it in this church with some of your friends growing up. You know, and then as soon as they have a chance, it's not always 18 or 21, sometimes it's 16, 15, when they start to realize, hey, I have rights. And I, I can do this and that on my own. And, and we've had to deal with that on all of our levels. And that's why I share this necessity of early on starting to help them decide who they want to be. That it's not you telling them who to be, it is you asking them 
Who do you want to be? What do you want to be? Not just in terms of occupation, education, but who, do you, who are you going to be? And that's not, and, and, if, and they don't have to tell you, and they might not tell you. They still might think it's a trap <laughs> and tell you what you want to hear. That's the reality. Like I said, spiritual matters of the heart are the easiest to hide. To exercise self-authority and be rebellious in spiritual matters is the easiest place of rebellion because it's so hard to identify. So Job was concerned about what's going on in the heart. And dads, why do we not... uh, press our children in these areas because we don't want them to be angry. Not at us, not at society, but at God. Because ultimately, that's the wrath we're concerned about. I don't want to provoke that in my child. I want to draw out of them um, and, and show them that they have to make those choices for themselves and they're going to choose. And we believe in, because we're Baptists, and what does the I am Baptist stand for in the acrostic? What is it? Do you know? B-A-P-T-I-S-T-S. What is, it, what is the I? Individual soul liberty, which means every single person has the God-given right to choose whom they will serve. That's a, that sounds like a very American thing. Well, that's because they got it from the Baptists. Because that's not a Catholic teaching. It is not a Reformed teaching. It is a biblical teaching. That we, every person, well, communicate that to children. You have to decide. I can't decide for you, but I can train you and I can admonish you. That is to call you to action, call you to the truth, invite you to the truth, confront you with the truth. I can do that. I can give you the training and admonition of the Lord, but I'm not going to provoke you to be angry at God by forcing the truth in your life. That's the difference. So I'm going to admonish you, I'm going to instruct you, I'm going to train you, but I'm not going to force you. Because I think that's provocative. That's violating their personal spiritual authority. They must decide if they want to rebel or not. And when they do, now you have to respond. What is our response? We're going to talk about that when we get to the R of rebellion in a couple of weeks. So this is that exercise of understanding these roles of authority and there's a lot going on there that you need to be attentive to especially as your children are growing up like I said when they're even very young even four and five they're going to exercise will but we're talking about where they are spiritually when you get into little lamps those two threes fours and five-year-olds that are in there they love it you hear them singing and they talk about Jesus um, and they don't always know who Jesus is and, uh, they, they, you know, little Moises once called my wife, are you Jesus? You know, and because that's where they're at. You know, maybe you're Jesus. I, I hear this Jesus, I've never met him. And, um, but they love Jesus, and if you get them in, in first, second grade, they're starting to, to maybe understand, but we're really focusing on, remember, the fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. So we're trying to teach them evil, that's a spiritual act as well as a, a wisdom act. And so we're trying to develop that in them, and we want them to know the law. We don't want them to understand right and wrong. Um, but they get into third grade, they're starting, especially in our society, because our society is so anti-parents. 
anti-authority. By third grade, they are already invested in rebellion too many times. Because we didn't do the work in K through second grade, well, really birth, uh, two-year-old through second grade, to really talk about sin. So the train admonition of the Lord is, we have to begin with, I'm a sinner, and that needs to be entrained and admonished. They need to confront that truth. Not because you've displeased me, but remember, our authority we bank on is God's word. I use God's word to train my children, training of the Lord. I use God's word to admonish my children. And so if my children don't want to follow my personal advice, um, I might be a little offended at that, but um, if, and it might work out or not work out. When they want to violate biblical advice, they will get nothing from me. Zero. I will not assist them at all. If they want to go different than my, what I would like for them to do, and it's an area of liberty, and it's for them to decide, then that's fine. But if they want to violate biblical advice, admonition, and training the Lord, this is not in this passage, because it says, don't provoke your children wrath, but, what? But bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So when you violate the training and admonition of the Lord, that's the break point. That's, that's the cleaver. All right? If you want to, uh, I'm not going to force you to be who I am spiritually or to believe what I believe, but I'm going to tell you what I believe. I'm going to teach you. I'm, I'm going to admonish you. To, I'm going to invite you to believe. Um, but uh, uh, when it comes to your decision, you choose otherwise, then that is a break in fellowship. And that is how a in our adult world, this is what happens. When you have this disagreement with a boss, guess what happens? He breaks fellowship with you. What's that called? Firing you. Yeah. He breaks fellowship with you. When you do that in society, they break fellowship with you. What do they do with you? They put you in prison, in jail, because they don't want you amongst us. They break fellowship with you. Okay, so this is... Uh, this is a standard we understand it works across society that when if you cannot uh, conform to our norms and mores our uh, values we break fellowship we understand that and in our homes it needs to be the same way we break that fellowship we just don't have the fellowship so I'm going to treat you differently now because you've taken this course of action not because you didn't do what I wanted you to do but because you didn't do what God wants you to do You've broken fellowship with us. Now, if you don't do what I want you to do, it might work out really well for you, and I'll come back and say, well, that worked out pretty good for you, and, and uh, I'm glad of that. Does it mean my way wouldn't have worked out well with you? We don't know, because you didn't choose that way, but that was just a choice. You know, you chose to marry that guy or that gal instead of who I wanted you to marry, or what, but that's your choice doesn't mean it's going to be horrible. It just means it's different. Okay? That's not me exercising my... I, I can't exercise that kind of authority. But when you choose to commit adultery against your spouse or future spouse, now, I have God's word on that one. I don't have a biblical reference to tell my son or daughter who to marry. Or Andrea. They're all in my house, so I get to mess with them a little bit. 
But when it comes to moral purity, I do have God's word. Boom. And so this is the distinction that you can start very young and to start to distinguish between um, you need to obey your parents. You're doing this because you're obeying the parents. Um, and that's different than a sin against God. Um, if you disobey your parents, you are sinning against God by disobeying your parents. But the parents' command, pick up those toys, isn't in the Bible. Right? We recognize that. That there's, there are steps removed from that. But when we come to biblical commands and they violate those, then there's a break of fellowship. The biblical command is to obey your parents. We use that, but at some point, we stop using it as much. We can still. I can still lord that into my children's life, but I don't need to, just like um, I don't lord it over my wife that she's supposed to submit to me. I do not tell my wife to submit to me. That's her authority. Her personal authority is whether to submit herself to me. I cannot force her to do that. I will not force my children to submit to me, but I can, while they're young, force them to obey me or else suffer the consequences. But they can do that in rebellion. They can obey, right? Children can obey, right? Just like that. Well, is that, that kind of obedience going to get a reward from me? No, because the rebellion is still in their heart. Well, spiritually, that happens extensively. I knew I was going to go long. I probably shouldn't have taken that first Noel song. But <laughs> Any questions you have in this area? I know it's a little controversial because I have a very different position than, than many in this area. Um, but uh, I think I have biblical basis for it. Uh, and if you want to challenge that, I'm, I'm more than happy to engage that. Yes, Paul. Correct. Exactly. For those on the podcast, let me rehearse what he said that that authority um, doesn't disappear because they become adult or move out, um, but it's only valuable to them if they appreciate it, respect it, love it, and respond. You still have authority. Um, your parents have authority in your life, even when you, uh, my parents still have some level of authority in my life, okay? And even in our strained relationship that I have with, with my mother, um, I still respect her. I respect that authority enough to do what she wants me to do, which is don't talk to me. So that's what I'm doing. And, and that's what I've chosen to acknowledge. Is that, so um, I have that responsibility because I recognize authorities and appreciate them. But you're right, just because they move out doesn't mean your authority ends, but the exercise of your authority changes. Okay, So you cannot force them, nor should you even, in terms of, of when they come into young adulthood, uh, really you should be transitioning from forced obedience, right? You do this and to consequential disobedience uh, to, um, you know, I'm just waiting for you to choose to do it. And even when my adult children live in my home with me, I don't require, I can ask, I ask them, um, but uh, uh, there are many times that if I get a sense that they don't want to do it, I'll just go do it without them. I won't even ask. In fact, several times I've told them, um, it's for you to ask me, how can I help you? I'm not going to come and, and, and ask you to help me um, until I get a read that you're interested, so you should come and ask me, how can I help you today? I shouldn't have to go out and find you. 
um, especially if you have nothing on your plate today, nothing on your schedule. So, but that authority is there. Remember, I started off by saying we are submit to one another, so you're always under each other's authority. So even in a, if they are a Christian child, they should recognize you have authority as a fellow Christian. And then as a parent, and for my poor kids, as their pastor. All right, I got, I got three claims to it. Bam, bam, bam. They're in deep doo-doo, right? But I cannot exert it to the point of them hating God. I don't want them to be angry at God for making me their dad, for making me their fellow believer, for making me their pastor. I don't want any of you to be angry at God for making me your pastor. I don't want to provoke you to wrath. I want you to be trained and admonished in the Lord. But when they move away, this is a big issue. Um, I love in the Philippines, I had a conversation with one of the single gals. There was three or four of them there at the conference I was at. They were registrars, and I had a meal uh, with them and some of the church people, and they were talking to me, and of course, uh, um, it's really hard for me to tell their ages. Um, when I was in Cuba, I had a gal that I thought was like 12, and she said she was 18, and I was like, whoa. And uh, they were saying, well, how old do you think we are? They're all single, uh, young ladies, and they had to look up my son's Facebook page to see if what he looked like. Um, and uh, we were talking about this, and uh, they were the, the, the triple S group not because all their names started with S, but because they were single, saved, and satisfied. That's what the, that was their three S's. And so, um, having a conversation, they said, no, in our culture, you don't leave home until you're married if you're a woman. So they all still lived with mom and dad. Every one of them. And that's kind of exciting, because that's what I have been saying for a long time, is that you're still, as a particularly as a daughter, you're under your dad's authority till you're married. There is no uh, place where a woman should be outside of the authority of dad or husband unless she is widowed and fatherless. And in that case, I think a pastor has a responsibility to that woman, particularly, to be that authority in her life. Uh, that is how God's designed it. And there's other cultures that have recognized that, saying, well, there is no idea. But that's very foreign to American philosophy, isn't it? Because what are we all about? Independence. I want to be independent. You want to know where that's at? What I just quote from? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yeah, it starts that young. That's, from, that's a movie from my generation when I was a little guy. I want to be independent. I want to be a dentist. I don't want to be an elf. You know, well, I want to be independent too. You know, and so everybody wants to be independent. Um, well, that's not a biblical concept. It just isn't. Codependency is the biblical model. Oh, I thought that was a bad word. In the psychology world, codependence is a bad word, right? But in the biblical model, that is exactly what we're called to be, dependent upon one another and dependent upon God. Not independent. I'll do it my way, myself. That's, that's the wide road that leads to destruction. And many go that way. Don't let your child be one of them. Okay, other questions, comments?
Good observation. Glad it ended there this morning. <laughs> All right, let's have a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for your word. And uh, Lord, we uh, know that we're not perfect, any of us, in applying it. And there's uh, times that we have failed our children and will fail them. And Lord, help us to learn and to be better, that we might uh, rather uh, live it out before them, train them and admonish them using the authority of your word uh, in our lives and then in our parenting. And Lord, we do pray for our children, uh, young and old. Lord, we pray for our children, that they might love you with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, that they might make those choices for themselves, not because we want them to, but because they see their need understand your love, and want to follow after you all their days. And Lord, our prayer is that we might uh, understand our role and um, that you have placed upon us. Lord, we can't see into their hearts. And it may be very well that our children living in our own house, following all of our rules to the T, and yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, in their hearts are hating you and are cursing you. Lord, you know their hearts. We pray for them, that you might uh, convict them, that you might uh, help us to understand how to rightly deal with this and to confront it, but also to recognize it and the possibility of, probability of it. And so, Lord, we pray that you might uh, just work in our families to honor, praise, and glory. You might give us wisdom. And Lord, where we have failed, that you might, by your mercy and grace, make up that difference in our children's lives. And uh, that they might come to know you and grow in favor with you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look forward to seeing you Tuesday night, Christmas Eve.